and welcome to another episode of Sniffing the Pages. I'm Nina Manning. I'm Katie Griffiths. And in this episode, we'll be discussing The Gift of Friends by Emma Hannigan, a life-affirming, uplifting novel celebrating the strengths and joys of female friendships, the final novel by the much-loved writer of women's fiction. We will also be discussing the new novel by Louisa Traeger, The Dragon Lady, a daring blend of romance, crime and history, and an intelligent expose of the inherent injustice and consequences of all forms of oppression. I'll be revealing my thoughts on the brand new psychological thriller by Lucy Clark, You Let Me In, and Katie will be telling us what other books she's been devouring in what Katie read next. And finally, we'll be revealing two more great fiction reads. (laughs) So, first on to The Gift of Friends... Um, by Emma Hannigan and this is Emma's final book because in 2018 in February Emma sadly passed away from breast cancer but just before she did she managed to finish um, the first um, proof. Yeah yeah, she delivered the first draft of a new novel to her editors in January 2018 Um, it says she sent over acknowledgements for this book just days before she passed away so that's what this book is so it's it's worth mentioning it because it says it in the proof copy and it says it in all the information about it so I think it was hard to read it without having that in the back of my mind mm. and it probably did affect a little bit how I read the book yeah um, not necessarily in a bad way just in that I was in any, if anything it just made the whole thing feel more poignant mm. um almost didn't want it to end because it's like these are the characters that she was writing um that she sort of escaped into to write when she was going through cancer treatment they would be living on after her yeah i mean it's funny actually we were talking we think we spoke about it a little bit didn't we that you've read books by authors who have passed away before Mm. and it's never really been obviously you don't really necessarily think of it but i think it's so immediate Mm. that she was writing this while she was going through the treatment for her cancer so and then you know she 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 did pass away just after finishing the first draft and she had to pass it on to her editors to to edit it without her input, it does feel a bit more immediate. Yeah. And, and it's just sad. Um, and I think they, the... Um, and she writes lovely books, so it's a real loss. Oh, well, I'm definitely going to be reading more of hers, I think. Um, I think the publishers were saying that um, they've obviously published sort of nine or ten books of hers by now, so yeah. they probably understand her style. and Yeah, so it made it easier to do yeah. someone that they've worked with, and they've got, you know, she's got a back catalogue, so they understand exactly her writing style and what she how she communicates it, but... It's still sad that she didn't get to finish it herself. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lovely book, so maybe I'll read... Should I read the blurb? Yes, do read the blurb. So we're talking about. Because um, there's lots of characters. Yeah, there are lots of characters to keep hold of. And it's got a little map at the beginning as well, it which does, I like. I love a little small <laughs> map. Um, so Kingfisher Road, a leafy, peaceful street in the town of Bayhill. But there are whispers behind closed doors. Who is moving into number 10? Engaged to handsome, wealthy Justin Johnston, Danielle appears to her neighbours to have the perfect, glossy life, but not everything is as it seems. In fact, each of the four women who live close by has a secret, and each is nursing their own private heartache. But could a gift be waiting on their doorsteps? And by opening their front doors and their hearts to each other, could the women of Kingfisher Road discover all the help they need? So yeah, I think as you said at the beginning, is this about Did it just female? mention Danielle? Yes, it just mentions Danielle, it doesn't explain... Maybe yeah, they'll talk about other characters one in the in the full. Um, so the other characters. Will so we've got Maya. Yeah. Maya and Freddie. Yeah, and their children Zach and Zara. Mm-hmm. 
And then Nancy, who is on her... She's a bit older. Yeah, she's 70. She's no kids. She hasn't got any own. kids. Yeah. And then we've got Betsy and Noel. I love Betsy and Noel. And <laughs> they had Graham, their only son. Um, and then they have Tasha and... His wife. Arnie. Arnie, their son, yeah. Later on. And there's Pearl and Seth and Drew. Yes, and oh. then little boy Drew. And then there's Danielle and Justin. Yes. So, yeah, so there's... Because there's... Well, five, really, aren't there? Yeah. Is that five? Yes. Five lost count. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Yeah, so five main female characters, and this is sort of their... Each of them has a story, and... Um, you, you sort of they, you know, playing on this journey that they're all friends with each other and they're all really good friends and it's I guess the main theme of the book is probably female friendship. Mm. And um, Danielle comes into it a bit late, doesn't she? So the mayor and Nancy and Betsy and Pearl are, are formed more of a firmer yeah, a sort bond, of, sort of haven't solid they? friendship group. And so she moves onto this road, and um, Danielle is sort of at first a bit overwhelmed by all these women, kind of wanting to know about her life and sort of wanting to be involved in her life and she's a bit like oh what's going on um she's a lot younger as well isn't she she's, she's 20. only 20 yeah so she's so really young. young and um but then they, yeah they all become good friends and they're all and that's of... what's really lovely about it is um the different age groups and how friendships can be formed between different generations because i have yeah, I really like friends that. i don't know about you but i've got friends particularly in my book club and so i'm in my uh very early 40s. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we've got um, my friend in her 50s and then an, another one who's in her 60s. So three different generations yeah, there. But absolutely. we all I've just... got people who I think consider good friends who are, you know, 20, 20 years older than me. And I don't have any friends that are 20 years younger than me, sadly. I've but... always hung out with people that were older than me as, my, as a younger, in my sort of late teens, early 20s. Yeah. I always tended to hang out with people who are about 10 years older than me. Yeah, she's very mature. Yeah. Um, it's nice, but it's nice, it, you're right, it's nice to have depictions of female friendship where they're not all, like, they've been best friends. It's nice to have, obviously, friendships which are like they've been best friends since childhood and they're the same age and they're really good friends, but it's quite nice to have that representation of it being a bit more diverse in terms of age. Mm. And, like, therefore people bring in, you know, everyone's from different backgrounds and they're all bringing um, something different to the group, if that makes sense. So mm. It's not necessarily as straightforward. And that's which, a bit um, what real life is like, isn't it? Like, yeah, definitely. Which um, which was your favourite character? Or I think Nancy. Was it Nancy or? I actually really like Danielle as well. Did you? Oh, that's interesting. I found. Will you judge me if I say my favourite character was Maya? Or no, Ma- Maya. Would we say Maya, Maya or Maya? It's difficult I think to say. I would say M A I A. I think I would say Maya, but I'm that's saying Maya right. in my head, but. Um, I liked the sort of yeah, no, trashy like poshness about her. Yeah. <laughs> I, to be you, I liked them all. It's not to say that I didn't like any of them. Um, I like them all in different ways. I think she was the one I, that bounced off the page the most for me. I liked because the sort of her unapologeticness of her. Yeah. So she was just very much she's who she is. So she's not um, she's not come from a background of money, um, and she's very much just being herself. Like she's dressing how she wants to dress and existing how she wants to exist yeah. I guess and I like their relationship as well and I guess Maya also she re- yeah mm. she resonated a bit with me maybe as well because she was the one who was more most um like clearly a mother in the book so she had, her twins are sort of growing up and moving away and she's like struggling with her sense of identity and self because mm. 
they're, they're going to leave home. I when still felt she was so young, actually, wasn't she? She wasn't. Yeah, it was interesting. I suppose she must have been quite young because she had them. I can't really remember. She must have been quite young when she had them because I felt like she was only in her 40s. So they're sort of they were late just teens, weren't they? Yeah, they were, well, they were going, going off. off to university, weren't mm-hmm. they? Um, but that kind of, I mean, obviously my children are much, much younger than that, but that sense of, you know, you immerse yourself in motherhood and then there comes a point where you're needed less and less and you have to suddenly realise that what have you got left of yourself? Imagine um, with twins for many, many years, you have to be completely in, yeah, involved. That in must be extremely involving. Two kids um, both the same age, different sexes, so both wanting to, to go off and do different things. Yeah, I can't imagine actually what it must be like to have multiple children. Yeah. Um, I, quite, I liked them all. The only characters I didn't like were probably ones I was supposed to not like. So yeah. Cool. And there was um, a couple of baddies. Yeah, so Justin's mum is not a not a friendly character. Yeah. So I think it's like quite clear again early on. So Danielle and Justin have got together. He's really, really, really rich. He's old um, money. And she's not. Um, but they've fallen in love. Um, and they've moved in together and they've got engaged. And his mum really doesn't like her as being really snobby and basically just a total bitch just about it. downright rude. I mean, really bad, She yeah. really holds back, doesn't she, Danielle, right until the end, and then she lets rip, which is fantastic. Yeah, and that it's was like, really nice. Girl. It felt like a really earned moment mm. where she, you know, she, she finally gets to sort of stand up for herself. And it was a like, proper yes, American slow clap moment, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was brilliant. I liked it. And they all get their sort of, you know... Sorry about the dog, by the way. That's, the dog snoring in the background. It's That's not us. noises. <laughs> She yeah. likes to um, join us on these podcasts, so can't really uh, kick her out. Well, I could do, but we won't. <laughs> it's, fine. it's a nice, soothing back na- background noise. <laughs> yeah, there was... Um, what else was there? Lots of things. Um, there so, was yeah, Betsy so think... and Noles. There were quite a lot of themes going on, wasn't there? Quite a lot of serious subjects that were sort of I think, if anything, tackled, my actually. issue was probably that there were too many mm. so everyone had an issue and all all of them were quite big issues so it covers like adoption domestic abuse um well not just adoption actually adoption and the magdalene laundry yeah so this is in ireland and it's laundry you know, someone who was forced to give laundry? up a what? laundry yeah <laughs> so you know someone who was forced to give up a baby when she was 16 you know not with any choice but because that was what happened at the time and um these are all quite big sort of deep issues and then there's the sort of yeah class snobbery that Danielle's dealing with and, and I guess Freddie's got his Freddie's business, got business issues worries. and Maya's got her children growing up and moving away and it's just there's, there was a lot and I think do you think maybe because Emma was writing it at a time when there was so many things going yeah, on in her head that maybe she'd wanted just to cram as many stories in as yeah, she could. All, of the, all of them were good stories and I liked them and I liked the way that, that they were told and that they resolved but I think maybe some of them were just a bit I could have done without some of them but then equally without them some of the characters would have been less interesting so it's diffi- it's a really difficult balance and I, I think so yeah I mean what there's only so much you can kind of say about there were just a couple of characters some only really nice of, houses you know, like um, Graham for example Betsy and Noel's son who felt a little bit underdeveloped for me yeah and he started off being this real not a good character like he was a bit of a knob wasn't he yeah a bit of a dick and then just really suddenly sort of seems to change his attitude quite a lot without much um reasoning yeah without much justification and i think maybe just little things like that little characters like that where a little bit more explanation or a sort of yeah exploration i guess of what of their motives or what's happening with them 
which yeah. maybe helped a little bit in terms of realising them. But then they are peripheral characters, and the main characters all felt really not really well realised. Yeah. Yeah, some of them were really shocking, actually. Tasha, she just, every time she walked into a room and opened her mouth, I was like, <gasps> can't believe yeah, she just said can't that. She just said that. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> outrageous. And um, So what I couldn't work out was, that maybe because we're reading the proof, but um, the baby son, originally there was a, a scene with um, Betsy questioning how the baby was sitting up. So oh, I was yeah. wondering if at some point they were going to say, oh, actually, he was older than... Well, he was uh, about older than four months. They said he was four months, but when he arrived, she said, "Oh, he's actually quite a lot bigger than she thought." So I thought so maybe, maybe he was actually going to be older. Yeah, I suppose four, four months isn't entirely impossible to be sick. Like I, I can't remember what my children set up now. I think that she's sort of <laughs> propped him up, but yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was um, a heartwarming cast, wasn't it? Very colourful. Yeah, and, I um, really like it. Was a, it's a lovely book. I mean, if you you know that sort of women's fiction, and it's you know it explores and deals with some quite serious issues yeah it did actually it um, kind of shocked me once it got into the sort of uh, nitty gritty of the relationship between pearl and seth which that's was what i love um, about this sort of book is that they do really difficult at times actually can't, to read yeah. that wasn't it it was quite um intense. yeah bits of it were quite hard to read and were actually quite sort of not brutal necessarily but uh, you know unpleasant it did deal with unpleasant issues and the stuff about nancy um and the adoption mm. early in her life again is it's really shocking. So I think it's, you know, it's one of those books where you look from the front and it does look all sort of frothy and light. Mm. And I don't know what the actual cover's going to look like because um, it's a proof copy. But actually within it, as well, as well as being heartwarming and lovely and it is all of those things, it does actually tackle some quite serious issues. Yeah, it and it tackles actually. them quite, quite well with well-realised characters who, you know, react in ways that are believable mm, yeah it was quite surprising i always start off reading books like this thinking oh i know these characters inside out i know where this is going to go i read this style of writing so many times and then halfway through i'm literally hooked i'm like i don't want to say goodbye I to know, them i, I love, love them all <laughs> absolutely and that's exactly it those characters that are drawn with like or written as drawn with I guess with love, so that they come, they come alive, and you do feel like you're friends with them. And I, you know, I just wanted to go to their houses and like join in their tapas and wine. Yeah, I know, me that sounded too. really fun. I um, I want to live on Kingfisher Road. I know. I just thought, how fantastic! Wouldn't it be great if the village that we lived in was so much in closer proximity yeah, to one another? Because we're so like... spread out, I just think there'd be a lot more of popping in and eat, in and out of each other's houses. I know yeah, when I had a real community, a friend really who lived over the road, and she's moved away now, and but we used to pop in in each other's houses all the time. I just loved that sort of community vibe yeah it's really nice and i think yeah it's just that nice houses though weren't they they did sound like lovely houses and i like i like that they weren't all that people who were living in those houses didn't necessarily all come from the most straightforward backgrounds if that makes sense they they didn't all get there arrive there in the same or most logical way Mm. um so sort of one of them was you know, some obviously Justin's old money, but some yeah. of them are newer money, and some of them have. Yeah, I love the I love the way that um, Maya and Freddie had to hire a, a woman to come and teach them how to uh, mm. eat and entertain and do all things. Like yeah, that. And pretend <laughs> to be posh, basically. <laughs> yeah. but I love that because it's so real, like that sort of stuff. And then he's know. got a bit of a shady past, and then I like the way it all sort of reveals what's been going on behind closed doors that Maya didn't understand. And uh, and then she sort of steps in as that sort of um, mafia kind of wife, doesn't yeah. she? She's like, don't worry, I've got I'll your, sort it. I've got I'll your sort back. <laughs> what I like about that though is, is that she's obviously, you know, she's feeling a bit um, disempowered. Like her children are growing up in your way, and she's like, oh, what am I if I'm not a mum? And I've 
all I've achieved in the last 18 years is raising my children, which is a massive thing to achieve, to be mm. honest. But he's feeling a bit sort of um, like she's not as... Like she's not necessarily recognising her own worth or her own skills and abilities. And what I liked about that at the end is that she does actually come through and she's the one that sorts mm. it out. And it's like, actually, she's an incredibly capable, mm. competent woman and she's been raising like, two children and running a household all this time and that's not a straightforward mm. or you know small thing to be doing so mm. actually she's that kind of realization for her that she's more than she was thinking she is yeah it was very satisfying to read we're going to talk about the dragon lady by louisa traeger yes yeah, so this is um hang on should i read the... you read the blurb Oh, it says enough light in here, so it's yeah. Very, no, I can just about read it. It's very romantic mood in here this evening. We've got candles, Can- candle lit. If I stumble, it's because I can't read the word. <laughs> Opening with the shooting of Lady Virginia Corto in 1950s Rhodesia, the Dragon Lady tells the story of this spirited, boundary-breaking woman with a snake tattoo running the length of one leg. From the glamorous Italian Riviera before the Great War, via the Art Deco glory of El- Eltham Par- Palace, sorry, where Jeannie is ostracised for being a foreign divorcee at the time of. Edward the Eighth. Uh, Edward the. That's my really eighth, yeah. bad reading of Roman numerals. There. I was like five, six, seven, eight. Edward the Eighth. And I was going. Okay. <laughs> and Mrs. Simpson. The Cortels leave the confines of post-war Britain to forge a new life in Rhodesia, only to find that being progressive liberals during segregation provides proves mortally dangerous. She's had a few pina coladas. Everywhere. <laughs> I'm blaming the white on red writing in the candlelight. <laughs> That's my story. And I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Deeply evocative of time and place, the dragon lady subtly blends fact and fiction to paint the portrait of an extraordinary woman in an era of great social and cultural change. Okay, got three. <laughs> um, see, I mean, this is fascinating. As I was start, when I started reading it, I hadn't really read the blurb. I just jumped in, and I had to stop myself and be like, "Wait, is this historical fiction? In that, is was she a real character? Because mm. she's almost so like avant-garde for the time. Mm. It's almost not believable." Mm. And so I'd be like, "This is a bit." this can't be right mm. and then once I found out she was real I liked it a lot more <laughs> so did you google her straight away or did yeah pretty early on mm. <laughs> just because I genuinely wanted to know um, I didn't I need to not, because you told to... me that already so I didn't need to yeah, that's but then I did go on to google August Courtland Court Courtland Court Courtold Courtold so I think I didn't I started googled her to check she was real and then I read the book because I didn't want to know too much about her life before I read the book mm. um I just didn't want I thought it might be more engaging or enjoyable without that knowledge, but I did look her up again at the end. Just to have an idea of how much was real and how... Because that's always interesting with historical fiction, like how much is fact and how much is fiction. Yeah, it was an interesting blend of fact and fiction, wasn't it? Yeah, so I think with most historical fiction, I think... And I thought it says in this sort of author's note at the end, like, broadly speaking, it's factually correct in terms of things that happened and dates that they happened and sort of events as it were but um all of the stuff in between all of the character motives all of that stuff that's obviously all fictionalized um but she's i mean she's a fascinating character yeah it's interesting i don't think i thought it was too short i would have liked more of i think maybe that's my i mean i really enjoyed it to be clear but my my major criticism of maybe is that it could have been more of it Mm. a bit more yeah it was quite short wasn't it and it tended to jump between eras and narratives, didn't it? So we weren't... Yeah, so it's seeing them at different points in their life. So they're sort of, yeah, so they're in Rhodesia, which is um, nowadays is Zimbabwe. And um, 
then they're sort of in England post-war, but they're also... Post-second... Post-First World War. War. Sorry, yeah, post-First World War. And then they're in Rhodesia post-Second World War. But then they're also bits of them um, individually before they got together. Mm. So this is her and her husband, Stephen, to be clear. Um, And then there's also sort of narrative from a young girl who Mm. lives in Rhodesia at the same time as them. Mm. But we um, don't know who that is until the end. It's not entirely clear who that is at the beginning. Um, but I found that quite helpful, actually, because it gave it a lot more... It made it, the place sense of place feel a bit more real. Um, and I think that's yeah. one of the things it does really well, is it does have a good... Yeah, a good sense yeah of for place. such a short book, there was a lot of jumping between locations and yeah, time and, and frames. Well, yeah, it maybe felt like it made the narrative a little bit... And also a bit difficult to follow. So it starts with an event that it then goes back and leads up to, if that makes sense. So it mm. it on the blurby bit it starts with her being shot and then it sort of jumps back and explains all the events leading up to her being mm. shot but as well as that it jumps further back to give I guess more background or depth to their characters and their lives yeah it's a quite an interesting crime thriller from that perspective as well isn't it yeah so I um, it took a long time for me to work out who had done it I should have I should have thought of that person earlier <laughs> um um, yeah, I found the um, parts where the King Edward the um, Eighth and his mistress at the time, wasn't she, Wallace Simpson, when they came to dinner at the palace. Yeah. That was fascinating because um, obviously they're real people and that was a real situation. And then he, very shortly after that, um, stepped down, didn't he, when he renounced yeah, the so throne. Yeah, they decided to, yeah. He um, wanted to marry a divorced woman, so he had to... Twice divorced woman, wasn't she? Was she twice divorced? Um, I do not know. Yeah. My modern history is appalling. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. It's always interesting when they intersect with very, very well-known historical figures, that, you know, people like this sake. So, see that. Mm. Their interaction with them was was really interesting. And because Jeannie in the book is um, a divorcee as well, she had felt sort of kinship with Wallace Simpson and the sort of sense of, like, she obviously quite liked her and found her very relatable. So mm. there's that kind of element of it as well. But they also later on they his her husband has a meeting with Robert Mugabe, right at the very very yeah. beginning of his sort of political career, and they don't really go into that yeah. where that's going to go. But um, again, just was really interesting, um, just that sort of insight into or slightly yeah insight into the background of people that you know you hear about with a lot of notoriety. Yeah, and they were very different to everybody else who was around them at that time specifically in the 50s when um when yeah, they, so when they mean, were in um Zimbabwe yes and so how so they were trying to go against the grain and trying to cause a little bit of change and all it did was cause hatred a and... lot of resentment yeah I mean it's what it's really interesting because again that's why I said like when I, when I first started reading I think it's why I immediately googled her is that genuinely if I had read these characters and they were purely fictional I probably wouldn't have found them believable like the fact that they really were that progressive and that liberal um at that time living in living in Africa and having those opinions is obviously extremely rare at the time mm. um but it's also a bit of a wake-up call isn't it because it does make you realize that that's not that long ago no um those opinions which are basically that you know people who are native to Africa are less than the white settlers was really prevalent I mean mm. it was so prevalent that to express a, a different opinion was to not just social suicide, but actually caused genuine danger to their lives. Mm, yeah, it was a fascinating um, illustration of how um, 
fear of change can breed anger and violence yeah. so quickly. And I guess it made me really think like that. It's not that long ago, and that some there are people still now who have those who hold those opinions, and it's just it made it feel quite immediate. Mm. In a sort of, in a well, it can sense, happen on such is... a small scale, can't it? I mean, if you yeah, throw, if you're at a dinner party or just having a conversation with friends, and you throw something into the into the conversation that people have never considered before. Yeah. For their whole life they've been told one thing and then all of a sudden you say, well, actually... Yeah, and they've just believed it without ever really thinking about it or questioning it. Some people can get very angry. I've been in situations very like that before. Yeah. And um, it's like, you know... And that's what this felt. It's like, you know, obviously they didn't want to have that, the sort of, the comfort and the you know, safety of white supremacy to be questioned or changed in any sense because obviously that would that would tump, like, completely topple their world view and their mm. lives and to question that for them was absolutely just yeah not tolerable at all um, but it was yeah i say it's just genuinely interesting to find such progressive views in in people who really were alive at that, at that time and these things that they really did do mm. um so i think fascinating from a historical perspective but there was just something that was not allowing me to connect with the book on a emotional level and i don't know perhaps exactly what it was but um there was just something that didn't quite do it for me and I can't quite put my finger on it I think I found her as a character quite polarizing in that at times I really admired her and I thought she was really interesting um and I just to be fair that's not I do really admire her and she was really interesting but I also found her a bit frustrating in some senses and I suppose that's probably partly just a product of her time mm. um and, you know, I think because she was a very progressive liberal person of her time, my expectations of her are like kind of concurrent with someone who was a bit more modern. But actually, she still did live in that time. She still existed in that world. Um, so maybe that's why she found it a, bit, a little bit frustrating at times. Because mm. all the characters were really real, engaging, mm. really believable. Um, I think maybe just the jumping around in time made mm. it hard to really pull into the flow of it. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that was it. And it, yeah, I say I could have I, for me it could have been longer and just a bit more in depth um in certain in certain elements I suppose. Mm. And there's, there's this thing about her, you know, she has this snake tattoo all up her leg, which is an incredibly shocking thing to have for mm. a woman at that time. Like just almost unheard of really for someone to have done that. Mm. And so there's sort of hints all the way through at this kind of different stories she tells to different people to ex- to justify or to explain it and she sort of like makes up different stories to mm. tell different people um and I really wanted to know the actual real life answer mm. and I I haven't really I tried googling it a little bit but I never found an answer as if anyone actually really knows why <laughs> she had it do you, what, do you, what do you think would um have changed about her as a character or the relationship between her and Stephen if they had been parents do you think maybe because they had that extra amount of time and they didn't... Yeah, maybe it's having something else to focus on, something external, and that's partly what she gave a lot of their energy to um, that maybe made them able to feel. But I think maybe partly for her it's because she was, you know, ostracised from polite society in, in Britain. And, she, you know, her fam- she didn't do what her family expected or wanted her to do. From, as, when, as a schoolgirl, she got this tattoo, which was really shocking. So she obviously was quite, from a very young age, was this quite avant-garde character. I guess to a certain extent, she probably got to the point where it wasn't about what people thought anymore. Or she was used to being different. 
or considered different and maybe that was it made her more able to have those views and to have her focus be external in that way and do these sort of amazing things that they did for the country mm. or in the country This week I've been thrilled by the spine-chilling new novel by Lucy Clark, You Let Me In. Lucy's fifth novel follows the life of Elle Fielding, a writer estranged from her husband, struggling to complete her second anticipated novel. We meet Elle when she's returned from a two-week break in France, having rented her own swanky Cornish seaside pad out on Airbnb. As Elle tries to get back into the swing of life and focus on meeting her excruciatingly close deadline, she begins to notice a few strange things about the house a chipped glass paperweight, the unlocked writing room she left locked before she left, and the sensation that she's being monitored. The novel jumps between timelines, a younger Elle in her university days and the current Elle. There is also an unidentified narrator, and this is the person who's been renting Elle's house while she's been away. Now everyone around Elle is a potential suspect, and we're thrust into a world of paranoia as Elle's concept of what is reality and what is her overactive imagination is tested as she deals with the mysterious happenings. With a nod to Stephen King's misery, Elle encounters her very own number one fan as she exposes edited snippets of her life on social media sites for the approval of her readers. I love the familiarity of this book and how well Lucy portrayed the life of a writer with real honesty. I love the relatability factor and how current the book feels with references to Airbnb, hashtags and oversharing online. This book feels searingly real from the outset to the final crescendo with a double twist ending. Creepy, edgy and a totally satisfying read. I highly recommend you rush out and get your copy of You Let Me In by Lucy Clark out in paperback now. So we're talking about the difference between physical and e-books. Because I always just love the smell of the books, hence why we called the podcast Sniffing the Pages. Um, and I've recently been reading a couple of books on the ebook and just not being able to connect with them at all. Yeah, and I think, as I suppose for me, because I read, well, not always, but a lot of the time it's sort of a kind of an escape or a, I feel like I'm going into another world when I read a book. Mm. And that feels somehow more with a physical book. I'm not, obviously not physically leaping into it, but it does feel more, I feel more involved and more engaged. I don't know. And I know... It's know, just the tangible experience, isn't it? That's just... Yeah. And yet there are so many good things about having an e-reader, which means people can read much more accessibly. Obviously the book storage issue, which we both have <laughs> excessive issues mm. with, is not there. Um, and, it, you know, to be honest with you, I'm never going to have a problem with anything that gets more people reading. But for me personally, I find, I don't find that that's not a way I would t- prefer to read. I just find I I don't I don't think I engage in quite the same Doesn't way. Doesn't feel the same at all. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and I've just discovered that more recently, and I keep thinking, well, I'll go back to them. I've got this great Amazon Kindle Fire starter thing. No, it's not Fire Starter. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it's called, I don't know. My husband bought for me last year, and it's great because it's you know you can get all these lovely books and you see the front covers and you're like oh. <gasps> that's great, I really want to read that one. It's it's a click away and it can yeah. be mine. So there's that element and then that, and that and then it's gone. The, the high other... is, is left to the building. I just shouldn't be trusted with the ability to buy books that quickly and easily. But I just really shouldn't. I would have no money left. Um, if I had a new reader, it would be terrifying. I have mm. a bad enough addiction to buying books as it is, mm. let alone being able to go, oh, 
look, that one's 99p on, on yeah. Kindle today. Buy that one, and I'd yeah. have about 25,000 books in my yeah. to-be read, read pile, and it's already quite excessive as it is. So. I know. That's I just think I would be overwhelmed by the sheer number of books that exist. I feel I'm overwhelmed at the moment because I have to reread piles everywhere, physical ones, and now I'm <laughs> stacking up some. I know they're everywhere. Some, um, it's constant. Non-physical ones as well. So. And yeah, this is the thing. So I think you know, normally I obviously have a extra books that I read apart from the books that we're discussing for the podcast. But this time, I have been. I feel like this was like a confession. <laughs> I've been rereading books that I've read before. Um, I know. Very I know quite a lot. And it's a really contentional, contentious <sighs> bit. So people are really surprised when I say it. Mm. But I do it really frequently. And it's probably partly because I do read really quickly. Um, so I guess I got used to rereading books when I was a bit younger when there weren't always so many books available. And it was just, I couldn't keep up with my own reading habit. Also, Are you it's... morphing this into what Katie read next? I by am. <laughs> yeah, because not the answer to what Katie read next is not very much. Um, so it's not going to be a very long section in and of itself. Um, so I've been rereading a fantasy series that I read. Uh, um, the series is called The Throne of Glass series and it's by Sarah J Maas. And they're great. Um, and rereading, when I reread, it's often fantasy. Um, How many are in the series? Seven. Oh, I was going to say. I haven't reread seven all seven, one? though. Because you were quite... De- pressed when it ended when yeah it... I know and this is the thing so when books when series like that end I find it really sad because I feel like I've lost that part of my life obviously I'm over engaging with these books um and so I just want to go back to it mm. and at times when I'm really busy or really stressed I just find that easier than reading something new mm. I think one of the questions I get asked quite a lot like when I'm talking to people about the podcast is how do you find enough time to read mm. And for me, it's not necessarily physical time, partly because I read quite quickly anyway, and I read in the evenings, and I barely watch any TV. Um, so that's the space that I have for it. But also, there are times when it's just hard work to read new things. Like I feel it's harder than just falling back into a world which I've been in before, and all the characters feel really familiar, and it feels really safe and enjoyable at times when you're really busy and stressed, and life's just a bit hmm. much. I don't reread. I haven't reread anything really um, at all. But I can understand probably from a film perspective because there might be times when something pops up um, and it's on the TV and everyone else yeah. is watching it at the same time as you and you think, oh, I've seen it 25 times, but oh, I but really want to again. watch it because I it's so comforting. I think that's what it's like. And I, just, I guess it's just because I'm a bit unusual in that I probably read a lot more than I watch TV or watch films. Um, and those are the things that I go back to. So I don't necessarily watch programmes over and over or watch films over and over but I do read books over and over um, I have been known to finish a book and go back and start it again and then immediately the same <gasps> really? it absolutely appalls my husband he's like are you still reading that I was like oh no I finished it I've just started again because I couldn't bear for it to be over he's like it's so oh, weird you're like the child that never grew up because that's such a kid <laughs> thing to do well, I did it when I was a child and I still do it now sometimes um, <laughs> you're like the Peter Pan of the I book know. world I've never lost my childish wonder at the world of books <laughs> But it's true, actually. I genuinely haven't, and maybe that's why I really like the sort of kind of young adult fantasy stuff, where it's really so. Do you think it will get easier and... to say goodbye to the characters by book seven once you've finished reread this series again? I don't know that I will reread the whole series just yet. Um, I was just having a really busy couple of weeks, and I just thought about. I looked at all my books from my to be read pile, and just thought I don't have the energy for any of them. So the thing about rereading for me as well is it just takes very little energy because you already know the story mm. and you already know the characters. So you're just dropping back into a really familiar pattern. And you can read is much more relaxing as an activity for me than rereading than reading new books. Mm. Um, but no, I think if I get myself all the way to the end of the seven, I'll probably be really sad again. 
Um, but I probably won't read them again just yet. Probably yeah, one day, though, I'm very, I would be very surprised if I didn't read them again at some point in my life. So you said to me earlier, but before we started recording, that you're reading these because you're feeling quite tired from read, um, generally reading at the moment. So I think that's kind of where I'm at, at the moment as well. So maybe yeah. I need to <laughs> reread something or just not read and just watch TV. Yeah, I suppose it depends whatever shuts your... It's about having time to switch off, I think. So And maybe particularly because we've been reading in a really active way so often (laughs) you know we're reading books to discuss them and that means you're paying a lot of attention Mm. you're reading them bearing in mind you're thinking about how you're reacting to it and you have to finish analytical approach to it in your head it feels like a homework assignment doesn't it have to finish even though you get to a point where you think oh i might not be enjoying this and if this wasn't a book for the podcast you might have just put it to one side and picked it up yeah they've only been i think a couple yeah luckily we've only had a couple like that there's only two i can think of that i felt like that about um but Generally, I just it's maybe just feel a bit more engaged in it, and I guess for me, rereading is more like watching mindless crap on TV. Mm. Um, not that the books are crap themselves; it's just that the the amount of effort I have to put into it, having already read it before, is much lower, and so I can just kind of zone out and drop into it. I don't know how I can explain it really well, <laughs> but it does feel like just going back to characters that I really like and going back with old friends and that thing where you can just completely relax and it doesn't feel like an effort anymore. Mm. Just trying to think what book I would really like to reread. Um, I'm always really interested in this, in this question with people because very few people I've met have responded to me saying that I reread a lot. I mean, I keep my books, too. obviously, because I think I'm going to reread them at some point. Um, yeah, so that's the good thing is it does really justify my large book collection because mm. I can genuinely say, well, I'll probably reread them. Mm. And that's almost always true. And so when I'm be I can when we had to move house, for example, we had to get rid of a lot of books, obviously. Oh no! I know it's very painful. Um, and I was just like, well, I can keep, I can justify keeping lots and lots of things because I can so probably read them again. Mm. And it made life a lot easier for me. My husband had to get rid of loads more than me because he doesn't really read, so. Doesn't he? He had no justification. Shocking. <laughs> I won. I won that battle. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've just um. Listeners, I have a problem. <laughs> I have far too many books that haven't been read. Um, my daughter walks around the house all the time picking books up, going, Mummy, have you read this one yet? Have you read that one yet? Um, nope, it's uh, in the pile. Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> but yeah, it's got a little bit out of hand. So I was in Waterstones yesterday and the woman was so desperate to sell me a book. It was the book of the, you know, they have their little pile of the book of the week. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, it looks really fascinating. I'm so tempted but I was like I literally can't do it I'm sorry I can't I, I have to, to leave my pile yeah <laughs> please let me leave I said I just came in to soak up the atmosphere and this is the problem is I just like mm. being in bookshops yeah but then when I'm in a bookshop I want to buy books mm. we should well I suppose you just need to go to the library don't we really yeah Be amongst the books yeah but that's another problem as well because I go to the library and then I, I check out like five books and I bring them home I go well I haven't got time to read these <laughs> yeah, absolutely. so they're going back tomorrow <laughs> also I don't like to let them go again yeah so it's like oh no I even really... though you can rent them at any time. You no, know, I could go and get them back again. I know that's how the library works. And, you know, I, to be fair, I do use the library. Um, particularly good for sort of trying new authors or trying new things. Mm. Um, I have on the past, though, bought and read a library book, given it back, and then had to go and buy it. Oh. So that I could reread it. I don't, honestly, I have a problem as well. A slightly different problem. Well, I we've both to, got problems. I went to the library recently and took out a book and the librarian said to me, you know you took this book out in August 2017? <laughs> and one of my mum friends was there and she looked at me and went, you just had a baby then. And I was like, oh yes, 
that was probably why I didn't that read that. That was optimistic. <laughs> and then I bought it home for the second time and then still didn't read it. Oh. So, yeah, I just like being in libraries and bringing books home and then I'm taking sure them back it's again. It's easier than going, it's, it's cheaper than going <laughs> to the I take bookshop. them on a little holiday, bring what them to my you house. Take kids and to the library, don't you? That's the thing. So our, our kids, my kids go to the library a lot and go and get lots of books out and, and bring them back and obviously can... Do all, do read all the books they get from the yeah. library because they're really short. Yeah. So that's fine. Well, that's um, it. Because if you think about how many books we're actually reading, yeah. we're reading all our kids' books as well. Yeah, I mean, that pushes my number up because I have to read quite a lot of books a day. Do you feel, children, actually, so. when you're sat there reading your books to your kids, I'm like, oh, reading like three books a night to my middle child because yeah. he can't read. Well, he's a pretty good reader, but I still read all his books to him. Yeah, well, it's that interesting stage. Okay. Because my little girl's getting to the stage where she can read a book but a very simple like quite early sort of stages book and they're not very interesting those books that they can read because oh yeah it's really hard to write an engaging story when you have to apply phonics sound <laughs> you've got the sound every word so we, yeah we still read to her because she can hear much more interesting and engaging stories that way mm. but yeah if i could count all the children's books i read my goodness i'd be reading a lot yeah yeah that's although what lots I of think. them would be let see kids reread loads and that's clearly the point is I'm, gi- I'm a giant child but my children reread the same book over and over and over and over again. <laughs> when, um, yeah, so on the evenings when I'm sat there with my son thinking, oh, it's eight o'clock, I really want to be reading my book, but it's okay because I'm still reading. Yes. I'm just reading. And I'm instilling a love for stories in the next generation. Just reading Julia board. Donaldson instead of... Although my son's favourite book at the moment is an Osborne book called Noisy Bottoms. Oh. And it's like a sound book, so it's just a lot of fart noises. Oh, really? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. He's, he's just turned three, and obviously he adores that. Yes. He's, Actually, my he's new, still in my the anal phase, if I could just use the psychological term for that. Everything's about bums, isn't it? Yeah. Up until that point. No, Both my three and my four-year-old are in phase. that phase. <laughs> Trust me. Nothing is so funny as the word bum. Um, here's something interesting I tried this week. Still talking about books. <laughs> I was going to say, that was interesting to see. I'm a bit worried now. Um, I listened to an audio book for the first time the first ever. First time ever? That's astonishing. And I didn't like it. I know. So I do listen to audio books, but I listen to audio books to go to sleep to. Right. Again, I don't know if this is a normal thing that people do, but um, so I've recently learned how this started. And the reason is because my son now needs it. So my apparently when my brother was a little boy... Um, similar age to my son now, um, he had similar problems, which is that they couldn't go, they can't go to sleep. So my little boy really struggles to fall asleep. And one of the things that really helps him fall asleep is to be listening to a story, um, so that he's sort of not trying to sleep, but listening to a story and then just falls asleep because he's tired. Mm. Um, and so it's basically become habit. I obviously grew up with my brother having these audio books on and that's what helped him go to sleep. And I've got so used to it that I really struggle to sleep without them now. Really? But I only listen to audiobooks at night that I have also read. Do you have earphones to listen to them? Yeah, so I just have one headphone, otherwise my husband would really hate me, wouldn't he? Um, so I have, I just have one headphone in, yeah. And yeah, then... I just downloaded the app from the library one, which I can't see on here. Oh, yes, I can. It's called Borrow Box. And I just thought it was the library app because I had one on my phone ages ago. And I thought, oh, that's come off for some reason because I've changed my phone. And then I saw that, downloaded it, and then borrowed a book that I really wanted to read and then realised it was an audio book. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'll give it a whirl. And um, I didn't like it. So the times I think audiobooks are helpful is if you, like, any times I've listened to them and they've been new stories, not, like, audiobooks I've been listening to to sleep, which I've already read. 
Um, otherwise, I find I stay awake to hear what's hap- going to happen next. So I can't listen to audiobooks where I don't know what's going to happen next. Otherwise, so I suppose I it must sleep. be like reading because you get to a point in the page, don't you, when you're just reading a paragraph with your eyes flickering. Yeah, and you it's actually basically no like idea what's going on. Sleep without having to actually do it. <laughs> but the only time I've actually listened to audiobooks actively is when I was doing really long, really long commute and driving to work. Yeah, that would probably be good. And that was because you can't read when you're driving a car. It's I was really, trying to really cook and the extractor fan had to keep going on and off, so that probably didn't help. Yeah, I think it depends on your lifestyle. Like, I know people that listen to them quite a lot, and I guess it just depends on how you fit it in. It's a way to read without having to physically sit down and read. I think what I didn't like was the voice that one of the, the narrator did for one of the characters. So it was a book by um, Jessica Knoll, and it um, something's happened to the sister. So the sister, the other sister's being interviewed okay, yeah. about her other sister and um, by a TV interview type thing, not a police interview. And the TV presenter just pops up and suddenly the narrator's voice just went, oh, I'm droney and just really strange. I was like, I don't like, I can't bear it. Yeah, so I think it probably depends a little bit on <laughs> the... So you basically... There <laughs> I mean, better... I do it with my kids. I do the silly voices when I read to my yeah. kids. But <laughs> there are better and worse audio books. It depends on who records them. And it's a really difficult... I think it's probably Would a really they difficult always job do that do. then? In no, audio books? Um... Change the voice for different characters? Usually a little bit, but not necessarily massively. So, like, the probably the world, most well-known ones are the audiobooks of the Harry Potter series, which are read mm. by Stephen Fry. Oh, okay. And they are wonderful, like, okay. if you like audiobooks. Um, Does or he if do children like audiobooks. cool voices, though? But um, they're not really... It's really hard to describe. So he does change his voice a little bit, but it's not, like, a very big the, change. Right. Yeah, so you can maybe hear... So you know he's in a different character's voice. Because that's the extent. point, you have to know that but it's another character's voice. it's more about intonation and yeah. I guess that's the only thing. But he's a, I mean, he's, a, he's a, probably the best example of a, an audiobook because he just has such a lovely voice anyway. It's very soothing to listen to. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just found it really difficult to get my head around because obviously when I'm reading a book, I can see exactly what's going on. Your, your eyes automatically scan to the he said or she yeah. said, so you know who's talking. But when you're listening, you've got to wait until... The narrator's got to the end of the sentence before, okay, who's speaking or what's going on? I think it depends. People probably are probably different. Like, I find it harder to follow a story in an audiobook. I find it easier to follow a story when I'm reading it myself. Um, some but people some people about, probably prefer audiobooks, and that's, you know, that's great. Again, I suppose it's like reading on an e-reader, mm. isn't it? Like, you just do what suits you. It's great. that I mean, there's so many more available now. Yeah. You know, audio are a huge thing now, aren't they, audiobooks? Much bigger than they used to be, mm. so... Yes, it's an interesting world that I will not be entering again. (laughs) Next time on Sniffing the Pages, we will be discussing Uh, A Nearly Normal Family by M.T. Edvardson. The Carer by... Family by M.T. Edvardson. <laughs> the Carer by Deborah Mock. <laughs> completely lost Nina. I'm going to have to read them all. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Right. <laughs> we will be reading A Nearly Normal Family by M.T. Edvardson. The Carer by Deborah Mock. And Your Truth or Mine by Trisha. I can't do eyes for shit. <laughs> Oh, <laughs>
Russia suck like a I'm really sorry, Trisha, but it's so embarrassing because I'm actually going to be in conversation with Trisha Sakleka. Okay, I'm going to try that one more time. So I've got something to edit from that's not for crying. <laughs> uh, so we'll be reading A Nearly Normal Family by M.T. Edvardson, The Carer by Deborah Mogark, and Your Truth or Mine by Trisha Sakleka. <laughs> Which uh, I think is how we pronounce her. Yes, and sure. <clears throat> also Trisha's very kindly... Dis- um, has very kindly said she'll be in conversation, but probably not after that. Yeah, angling her name in <clears throat> So yeah, I'm actually really excited about all of those. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to getting to be the carer and really excited mm. about it. So, so that Can't is wait. it for this episode. Um join us next time for more Pina Coladas and <laughs> discussion we'll see what and uh, giggles. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Bye.